podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people? That is an awesome question. This one goes down probably on one of my top five. Hey, I like nutrition. I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever. I wish I paid more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest. I don't understand that. As a man, I just, I don't get it. Welcome to smartpeoplepodcast.com. Hello and welcome to Smart People Podcast, conversations that satisfy your curious mind. My voice has a little more bass to it because yes, I have the bubonic plague that's going around. Anybody else out there have this like lingering cough and things? My kids bring it home. You know how that works. They're like, they're just germ magnets. Anyways, that's not what you're here for. I hope you're feeling fantastic as the holidays approach us. This week on the show, we're covering a topic that is obviously core to this podcast, which is curiosity. However, as you're going to find out, it's curiosity in a different way. If you think we're going to get on here and talk about how to know more things or how to ask the right questions, that's not really what this is about. I think the value in this episode lies in two places, in the grand idea that Scott is going to share with us about this human-centric curiosity, and then also in the many nuggets. And I'm noticing this more and more in our episodes, which is, you know, look, I thoroughly enjoy an hour-long conversation with these amazing people, and I think that the conversation is part of the journey. In addition to that, you've heard me mention goosebump moments, or as I just referred to, nuggets. There's about a handful every episode, some less, some more, of things that I think should not be forgotten. And where am I going with this? Well, I think a lot of podcasts put it in show notes, but let's be honest, who actually reads the show notes? I think it's perfect for like a short bulleted newsletter. And I'm curious if you're interested in that. So I'm just planting the seed. If you want to email us, let us know. I I love hearing from you. I've talked to a number of you smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com. In addition, you might hear me plugging the newsletter more often. Uh, We did it a while ago. It actually had a great response, but I think we got overwhelmed with life. And I think it's time to revive that. If you want to be in the know or one of the first for this newly revisited version, go to smartpeoplepodcast.com. Up at the top, you'll see something that says newsletter, or you can go just scroll down to the bottom. takes two seconds, and you can fill it out right there and hit subscribe. All right. So this week on the show, we're talking with Scott Shigioka. And Scott is a a bunch of energy, charismatic, kind individual who's also a world-renowned expert in this sphere of curiosity and its impact on human connection. His new book is called Seek, How Curiosity Can Transform Your Life and Change the World. All right, here we go. Let's get into it. My conversation with Scott Shigioka about his brand new book, Seek, How Curiosity Can Transform Your Life and Change the World. Enjoy. Do you think you can teach people to become more curious? Yes, totally. I think it's, yeah, I mean, my, well, you know, it's, it's a muscle, right? Just like many other things, like the muscles in our body, right? Curiosity is something that can be strengthened over time and with practice. And, you know, a lot of folks just don't know how to, you know, they're like, I know, you know, I see the benefits of it, or I see people around me who are really curious, or when someone's curious towards me, I feel really heard or seen or valued by this person. I feel like I matter to them. Um, Or I see curious people really, you know, they're happy, they're like, active and engaged. You know, I think about those elders that are like, don't ever give up on curiosity, even into these ages, like that's what keeps you alive, you know, but folks then have the question of, okay, but like, how do I do that? Like, I, it's not enough to just say, be curious. You know, that was like me in a weightlifting gym for the very first time with my partner. He's like, you know, like really strong dude and like knows how to weight lift. And I was like, what do I use? Like, how do I put this on the bar? You know, I don't even know how to like move it. So we need that sort of structure or that regimen or, you know, a set of exercises that can help us to actually, you know, work out, work out that muscle. When you said, yeah, I think people can learn to be curious. There was this assumption there that they see the value in curiosity in where, what I have found is that perhaps it's 
less difficult to teach somebody how to be curious than it is to explain to them why curiosity is a value that they might want and convince them that it's worth the effort. Right, right. The effort and the time. Yeah, I mean, and I think a lot of that is because people have a limited definition or understanding of what curiosity is. They're like, oh, it's about learning about how much Beyonce made on her Renaissance tour. Like, like isn't that like curiosity? Like, I'm, I'm wondering something. And that's a part of it. It is this intellectual tool. But I think, you know, you have kids and for folks out there listening who have kids, I think, you know, you can really connect to curiosity in a different way. When you watch your child, they're using their curiosity to explore their vocal anatomy and to they start babbling. They're like, bah, wah, ah, and they're like seeing how people react to them. And it's just like this wondrous thing. I mean, it brings wonder and awe in my you know eyes and my perspective when I watch that happen. And over time, they construct words and they construct sentences and they start to communicate as these like full body people. And that's all powered by curiosity. I mean, that's a big part of it is learning and growth and development. I mean, we've needed that since we were ancestors, you know, we needed someone to wonder, you know, how do we make chocolate? Like what, you know, someone had to figure that out, you know, or how do we make a fire or, you know, is there water in, you know, on the, other side of that mountain or where can we find food can i eat this mushroom like all of that is powered by curiosity and is it helps us to learn and grow and that's one part of it intellectual curiosity that's what folks call it but you know i i really love taking the um, idea of curiosity from the mind into the heart and seeing it as this heart-centered tool for connection. And that's when I think people really start to be like, ooh, like they lean in. They're like, oh, tell me more. That's interesting. I've never heard curiosity in that way, heart-centered curiosity. And it's that, like I said, that type of curiosity when someone's really interested in who you are, like you're on a date and they're like leaning in, they're asking you questions and they're like, oh my gosh, like I want to learn more about that. They're genuinely interested in who you are, what you care about, what you're thinking. Even if you're not even dating, you're in, you're in a marriage of like 15 years, you know, to feel that from someone is so affirming. It's so, it's such an enjoyable, pleasurable feeling. And it makes you feel, like I said, like you're valued and that you matter. And when you don't have curiosity, when someone is incurious towards you and they're dismissing you and they're like, whatever, you don't know what you you're talking about, or I'm certain about everything. I know everything. I'm not interested in your perspective. You know, that's when we kind of feel a little bit, you know, erased or dismissed or ignored. And that's a shitty feeling. That's not a great feeling. And so, you know, we don't want to, many of us, you know, are compassionate, kind humans that want to do right to the people we love. And so I think when folks understand that curiosity powers that love and that connection, that's when folks really get the benefit and they're like, okay, wait, I'm ready. How do I do this? Okay. So I can see a clear distinction between those two types of yeah. curiosity. Yeah. When you talk about the heartfelt curiosity or the heart centered curiosity, what's the difference? Like, how does it come from there instead of the intellectual part of just understanding something else? Yeah. Well, I think for me, yeah, the difference, it's the difference between knowing something and understanding someone, right? I mean, that to me is what the difference is. I literally, for me, in an embodied way, feel warmth in my heart, you know, like in my chest, you know, when I'm actively getting curious towards someone and learning things about them that maybe I never knew, you know, everyone has a story, you know, of their grandpa, like bringing them all together around the sofa and telling these stories from them growing up. And you're this kid and you're realizing, wow, like my, my grandpa or my parents like had this rich life outside of them just, you know, caring for me. They're this whole full bodied person with all of these interesting insights and stories that, you know, they've, you know, experiences they've had in the world. And so I think, you know, it's, it's literally an embodied feeling that you have, you know, when you feel that connection towards someone, um, that you don't always feel, you know, when you're only intellectually curious, you know, you might feel a little satisfied, like, oh, I'm glad I got the answer to that. That's interesting. Um, but it doesn't give you that sense of, you know, wow, like, I really feel so connected to this person. I love this person more, I understand them more. Um, they understand me more. I feel so heard and seen. I feel like I matter. Like that is a totally different texture, you know, that curiosity gives you when it's heart centered. Before we hit record, we were talking about, you know, you've been doing this type of work for about five years. Would you say that your focus or your interest in curiosity comes from 
the impact it has on human connection or is yes. that just a part of it? Oh, that's my full, that's my lane. Like that's like, yeah, I mean, and I, there's other lanes, you know, around curiosity, but for me, I look at, at the world and I see, wow, we are so divided. We are so polarized as a country in the United States and also globally, you know? Um, and, you know, we're fighting in parent-teacher conferences. We're banning and burning books. We're yelling at each other at family reunions, Thanksgivings, Christmas. It's an election year in 2024. You know, we're worried, you know, am I going to be able to sustain this relationship with my sibling, my uncle, my nephew, whoever it is that has a different political view for me. And even outside of the political arena, there's you know, intergenerational strife and conflict. Okay, boomer, entitled millennials. You know, what do you know? You're old, you're young. You know, what you know, there's all of this division across age, across faith. I mean, we're really feeling that with, you know, the geopolitical crises that are happening across our, you know, our country and our world. Anywhere you look, you can't throw a pebble and not hit some kind of division or hate. And, you know, I, I'm, you know, I'm all, you know, that's what's been driving me my whole life because I've been on the side of feeling what it feels like to be othered, you know, to, to feel like, wow, everyone else around me, you know, has a dad that's like present in their life. Like, where is mine? You know, I'm struggling to understand why my dad is in prison and like, what does that mean for me? He's a good man, but you know, like, how do I reconcile that? And how do I reconcile my own life as a young person or, you know, as a queer person, you know, um, why is it that I feel so much shame and so much self-hatred because people are telling me that my sexuality is, you know, sinful or not right or, and so, you know, I felt ostracism and felt, felt othered by my identities or my ideologies or, you know, the people in my family and the ways that stick, that stigma can actually hurt in, in psychological and physical ways, you know, I would argue. And I wouldn't, I don't want people to feel that way ever, you know, but when you look out at the world, like I said, if you voted in a different way, or if you have a different identity that someone doesn't quite understand, it can lead to that hate and it can lead to that um, vicious feeling of self-hatred and shame and all those other things that we want to move away from. So curiosity is really the answer to, to move away from that. Is it fair to say that your experience showed you the pain of feeling othered? And mm -hmm. so then you recognize that the way out of that almost is to understand each other and then the best way to understand each other, and not just from a, I know who you are, but I know you, is mm -hmm. through a heart-centered curiosity. And that yeah. brought you to kind of this concept. Yeah, I think that's totally right. And I think that when we other people, it really comes from a lack of understanding. And the more we can use our curiosity to understand them, what I found in my experience and what the research shows is that we feel closer to people. We feel more connected to them. Those feelings of hate decrease, you know, even with my dad, for instance, you know, I had my own stigmas and stereotypes about what it means for someone to go to prison. And as I grew older and was an adult and actually volunteered and worked alongside folks who have been incarcerated or impacted by the justice system, my view of my own dad changed, you know, and like, wow, like, this is also a system and a society that failed him and failed our family, you know? And so, you know, I, I just, you know, and I start to, you know, uh, head towards paths of like forgiveness and reconciliation. Um, unfortunately, he died shortly after he came out of prison because prison is extremely hard on your body. And, you know, he just, you know, developed illnesses that I think is also a product of his, you know, addictions that he suffered from. That's something that I, I've really learned, you know, that, when we when we actually you know work towards understanding someone in a deeper way our feelings of hate are decreased and you know there's something in uh, psychology called contact uh, or exposure therapy which is basically when you're afraid of something like snakes you know you can come into contact with it in a regimented way that allows you to reduce your feelings of anxiety and fear so you might in the case of snakes you you might think of you know, a snake in your mind, you might draw a picture of a snake, you might see a photo of a snake next, and then you see a snake behind a glass wall until eventually maybe with a non-poisonous one, you're going to hold the snake, you know, and as you get closer and closer, your feelings towards this creature change because you, you're coming into contact with it. And hopefully you get to a point of exploring why you even have that fear in the first place. Like who told you to be afraid of snakes when they're so important, you know, in many cultures, they have, they're so important for our ecosystem and they're not as scary as like we've been told that they are. And 
Just replace snakes with anyone that we fear, groups of people, especially who we consider as this monolithic group, whether it's some people who vote for Trump or people who are Christian or people who are from the South. You know, we make these grand sweeping generalizations and, and, and we stigmatize people because we think these groups, group identities are something that everyone, you know, they're, they're not one box, you know, that you can put them all in just like there's many kinds of snakes, you know. What are your thoughts on this balance we're trying to play between our innate curiosity, but also our evolutionary tribalism that almost encourages us to not be curious about other? Again, it comes from that fear and that anxiety, right? That we feel towards the quote unquote, the other. But when we really start to get to know people like I did, you know, I went on a 12 month road trip in my Prius, which is such a California cliche, but I like went to Trump rallies and I went to Republican meetups and I'm extremely queer, extremely progressive. I didn't hide anything about who I am. You know, I can't hide being Asian, but you know, I could have not shared that I was progressive or not shared that um, I was from San Francisco, which, you know, evokes a lot of images for people. But that's not something that I wanted to do because I wanted to be honest about who I was. And so many of my friends were so worried for me. They, they said, you know, you should bring a gun, you should bring a knife, pepper spray, like something to defend yourself. But instead, what I brought was my curiosity. And I came from this heart-centered place and I would go up to people in line at this at a, at a Trump rally and I'd say, I'm hearing a lot about who you are, not from you, from the news, from other people that have not met you. And I know as a storyteller, you know, I've been a storyteller my whole life, that the best place to get a story is from the person themselves. And, you know, we got six hours waiting in line together to see Trump speak. Like, I'm wondering, like, would you be open to having a conversation? Because I really want to get to know who you are, you know, and, and what you care about and what your values are and maybe what I'm misunderstanding or what the news is misunderstanding about you. And when you come from that perspective of genuine heart-centered curiosity, you know, people were so surprised in a delightful way. They were like, whoa, you're a progressive and not attacking me for who I'm voting for. You know, as the first thing you say to me, you're actually wanting to get to know me. And I'll be clear, like, I don't agree, you know, and we did not <laughs> I want to get into on this. a lot yeah. of things, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, because yeah. curiosity isn't about agreement or consensus even. It's really about understanding. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And the other interesting thing is that when I became curious towards them, it also encouraged them to get curious back towards me. So I could share some of my stories and I could share what it means to be queer and what I feel, you know, is important to me as someone who's progressive. And the research does show that that curiosity is contagious. When you start to be curious, you know, towards others, they feel this sense of familiarity, this more friendly communal um, and, and, and likability towards you. And they're more likely to also be curious about who you are and, and instead of coming from like the defensive. So, you know, it was an exchange actually where we got to learn a lot about each other. And um, I was shocked by how affirmed I actually felt at a place that everyone told me, you know, I might get shot, you know, or might, right. I might get hurt, right? Now you got my curiosity sparked with this, okay. <laughs> uh, with these Trump rallies. What were you surprised about and what, was there anything that matched your expectations or met your expectations? Well, I was going to say that, you know, I don't know why I didn't think about this, but because I, I feel it on the Democratic side, but not everyone was like 100% rah, rah Trump, you know, like I think there was really healthy dissent and things that they did agree with, didn't agree with. Um, but overall, you know, they respected him as the president and wanted to vote for him, you know, for the next election. I think about, you know, folks who are Democrats, like we don't always have 100% buy-in with our candidates either. So, and then the other piece is that not all Trump voters are at a rally. You know, some people don't want to be in that kind of environment. So I always had to nuance my understanding of who's here and, you know, and, and also understand that, you know, wow, like my, my image of who they are, my caricature of who they are is so different. You know, I had this character. Yeah, I had this character caricature. Oh, they're uneducated. They're, you know, they don't know what they're talking about. They're not articulate. They're uh, hateful, you know, whatever it is, you know, but I actually did not. I did feel that in some, some moments, but I did also not feel that in other moments. You know, there was many people with advanced degrees, humanitarians, um, people who were actually down and okay and actually um, supportive of me being gay, uh, folks who, you know, maybe they use different words, but essentially agreed that climate change is real, you know, that, you know, that there's, you know, that, you know they might say conservation, you know, instead, but they have this care for the earth and don't want to put more carbon into, you know, the atmosphere, don't want air and water to be polluted, you know, they're hunters and anglers, you know, I was like, wow, 
just like there two Christians aren't the same, two 40 year olds aren't the same, two Asian Americans aren't the same, you know, two Trump voters aren't the same either. There's this huge spectrum. And if I just believe what I see on Jordan Kepler, amazing yeah. comic, you know, yeah. but, oh my God. you know, so but if fun. I'm not critically thinking about, okay, you know, who's producing that? Like, what are they trying to show me? You know, what's, you know, what, what's their potential agenda? I don't think Jordan, I don't know Jordan. I, I would like to have a conversation with him, but I actually call this in the book predatory curiosity, where it mm. looks like you're being curious. You're ah, coming up with a mic, asking yep. questions, you know, you're, oh, you're leaning in, but there's an agenda, right? Like you want to make someone look stupid you want to got you know it's like a gotcha moment um and we we all do this in small ways even around like a family reunion if we're you know f arguing about something political like a, you know we're like ah see you like fell into my trap and here's what i'm going to tell you about why your point of view is wrong but that's not true curiosity because that has an agenda and an ulterior motive it's like what a detective or a prosecutor does you know true curiosity is truly open-hearted i do not know what i'm about to find out I do not know what I'm about to discover or experience, but my whole heart is open to it. And I'm open to this experience. Given what we digest, if it's the Jordan Kleppers or if it's the Fox News or it's this, that level of critical thinking, as you called it, although we know it's there, it might go away. And therefore, the more we do that, yeah. we subconsciously just create these black and white biases, if you will, which yeah. then lead to a lack of curiosity or understanding or connection. Exactly. And vice versa too, the lack of curiosity of being like, what else is out there? What else are people saying? Or, you know, who are these people truly? I should meet them for my own self, you know, to have conversations with them and not just believe what other people are saying. And, you know, because we all have biases and our own interpretations, um, you know, that curiosity fuels, you know, that desire to know and to understand someone fuels your your connection to them and cracks you know the bubbles and and it makes things more nuanced and more complicated and so I encourage and I invite people to do that I think that's what we need more of you know on our college campuses and our country you know just generally you know we we need folks to you know um you know to have this open hearted curiosity and um that that comes not from an agenda but from a place of really wanting to understand someone been a while since I've been in college and it wasn't like this when I was in college. And I, I don't know even how much it is like this now or how much it's glorified, but the lack of willingness to understand multiple sides is, do you think that's a real thing? You know, you see these clips of people trying to protest any speaker that comes into a university that doesn't fit their agenda and things like that. Do you think that's commonplace now, or that's yeah. just highlighted? For me, when I when I think about curiosity, and I read about this in the book, you also have to understand it from a perspective of power. Um, you know, whose stories are being told or are being heard in culture all of the time. Um, so, who do we need to be more curious towards because they're not as present in culture or in the news or in social conversations? Um, so, there's Amelia Bruneau, who um, was an amazing researcher, had studied this basically and had found that. You know, if you come from less social power, a group with less social power, it's more important for you to share, to actually perspective give. Um, and if you have more social power, it's actually more important for you to be curious and to perspective take to actually understand the perspective of someone else around you. And that came from his experience before he was a researcher, he was a high school teacher and he would see these interracial dialogues and, you know, white and uh, students of white students and students of color would come together and they would have conversations. And then he would notice, wow, like white students, you know, are getting something from it, but oftentimes students of color feel disgruntled or feel zapped for, of energy or feel like they didn't get much out of that at all, especially when compared to white students. And he realized, oh, it's because we're trying to, you know, create this all sides, equal, equal, everyone be curious towards everyone sort of structure. And what really needed to happen, and he tested this around many different groups that have, you know, different levels of, of power differentials, um, that when the, when, you know, both groups will walk away feeling more satisfied and more connected to one another, if we follow that direction, less social power, you know, you do more sharing, more social power, 
you be more curious. And I bring that into workplaces too, and into schools and into all the other places that I consult with. And I, we, you know, we look at how are you actually structuring, you know, the ways that you're listening to staff, you know, who might have less social power than your faculty or administrators or how, you know, your entry level employees and interns who maybe have less power than your managers and your executives, right? Who's really being heard in spaces? And um, that even happens in interpersonal spaces with friends and your family. You know, we have to make sure that people um, who tend to not have their voices or stories heard you know, give them the, the stage and the platform to be able to, you know, share their own stories. And then you might be the one that needs to be curious and to listen. That's a great concept. Why would that be the case? Yeah, I think there's probably a lot of different reasons why it happens. I mean, from my perspective, you know, as I interpret and analyze that kind of, um, you know, finding is this idea of being understood or understanding someone deeply and be like, oh my gosh, I got it now. Like, I understand your story. I understand where you're coming from. And for that person, too, to also feel understood that their stories are being taken seriously, their perspectives matter, that their 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 voice has worth and value. I mean, that is just such a, wow, what a powerful experience and powerful sentiment to give to someone. And then again, it goes back to the culture piece that, you know, some stories are heard more often in culture and others less so. So if you're constantly feeling like, wow, no one ever hears my perspective as someone who's trans or as someone who's black or someone, you know, in these, you know, lesser social power groups, which by the way, does not mean that they do not have joy. They do not have their own sense of power, don't have their own collective action and responsibility. It's just the system, you know, is, Societally, is the way it's designed yeah, and design, how it's oppressing sure. certain, you know, groups of people. Um, you know, it can be frustrating to be like, wow, now I have to sit in this room and listen to your story that I hear on Hollywood, on the news, like in every avenue of society. And, oh, look, we ran out of time and I don't even get to share my story. Cool. You know, like that's a really frustrating experience for people and can drive negative emotions towards, you know, another person or group of people. So, you know, it's a great different perspective on curiosity, I think, than we than we hear and talk about often. It's also a lot more difficult to action against. I, I think the idea of curiosity, one that, look, we talk about all the time on the show, I think it gets oversimplified on ask yeah. questions, yeah, you know, have an open mind. Although that's true, that is almost impossible to do. And so then if we're doing it in the context of humans and mm -hmm. not just information, then you add a whole other level of complexity. So where do you recommend people start yeah. if they're saying, okay, listen, I do want to connect with others. Yep. Mm -hmm. However, I also have a lot going on in my world. Totally. And I write this uh, about this in the book. I call these speed bumps to to accessing deep curiosity. Um, you know, you're talking about time, which is a big one. Trauma is another one. Fear is a really big one. And distance is another one. You know, and, and I talk about it's almost paradoxical that or, or it's, it's almost like an, it's a catch 22 that we, we don't, for instance, have enough time to be curious. But if we are truly curious about, you know, let's say inwardly curious about what matters to us, our emotions, you know, how to better ourselves, how to better communicate to the people we love, that can actually free up so much more of our time, help us to focus our time on people that matter to us, on the things that bring us meaning um, in our lives. And so um, it's a tool of reflection. It's a tool of growth. And so you know, it's, 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 but, you know, we can get and stumble and, and prevent ourselves from even getting to that point of re realizing these things about ourselves because we're like, oh, I don't have time for that. Um, when it could actually be this thing, this powerful tool that liberates you and brings more time to you. So I'll say that. And also that's why I brought a tool, a framework into my book seek is because this is really hard. And People need that guidance. Like I said, you know, a lot of people feel like, okay, I'm in the weight room and I don't know what to do like I did, you know? So I have this DIVE motto, D-I-V-E. It's an acronym. And each um, of those letters stands for one of the core muscles that you can exercise to access what I call deep curiosity. And, you know, D is to detach, which is to let go of your ABCs, um, assumptions, biases, and certainty. So if you can learn how to really challenge and interrupt those assumptions, biases, and not be so certain all the time. And, you know, I talk about this concept I learned about called living in the perhapsness, you know, admitting that, you know, there is change, there is unknown, that there are things that we can be wrong about, 
just like Aristotle was wrong about, you know, everything revolving around the earth. Like even the most brilliant people can be wrong, you know, um, that, you know, that can really help us to access deep curiosity. That's D. I is intend, which is what's your mindset going into, you know, curious conversations with your teen or with your partner? Are you actually thinking about the questions that you're going to be asking? Are you thinking about, um, you know, have you eaten? Have you slept well? Like, you know, what's your state of mind before you get into that question? And then what's the setting? You know, are you in a really noisy subway trying to get curious with your coworker? Or are you, you know, around a dinner table, you know, um, in a safer environment where people feel like they can really be vulnerable and, and share and they feel psychologically safe? V is to value, which is something, you know, which is how do you see the dignity of the people you're being curious with, which includes yourself. And this was especially important because right now we're in this crisis of dehumanization. We are literally dehumanizing people because they stand on a different geopolitical crisis stance than us, than a different political stance than us, um, or they have different identities than us. And, and we can't ever be curious towards someone if we think that they're animals or savages or less than or unworthy. And so we have to start from this place of, I recognize your humanity I recognize we both suffer <laughs> like that is a part of humanity and that is where we're going to open up deep curiosity. And the last is E dive E is embrace, which is how do you welcome the hard times in your life? Because it's during those moments of heartache, during those moments of grief, when you lose someone you love, um, even towards great, beautiful things in life, like getting married or having a, your chi a child or children, these can be hard moments of change. And that's especially when deep curiosity can, can bring you so much. It can help you to really get perspective from others who can help you on this, you know, important moment in your life, um, can help you to understand yourself, you know, better so that you can show up to those that you love, um, yeah, so that's E, embrace. So there's D-I-V-E, that's the dive model. And there's all these different exercises that aren't just like write a list of questions, you know? It's like, yeah. you know, there's all of these different practices that you can do to, you know, access deep curiosity. The first one, detach. And if you mm -hmm. walk around guarding your opinions, mm -hmm. then I believe that you spend more time trying to prove them right than trying yep. to question them. Yep. In people trying to practice this initial step in D, do you notice people have a willingness to, or do you notice that they are sometimes unconsciously attached to something? Yeah. Well, so there's this interesting research paper called When in Doubt, Shout. And my understanding of that paper is that, uh, that research is that, you know, when we are shouting the most, like getting vocal and arguing about topics, it's sometimes when we actually have a lot of doubt or, you know, a lack of understanding of that topic. You know, and it, it makes sense to me because oftentimes experts, people who have spent their lives, you know, studying something or learning about something, they're like, I have a lot more questions than I, you know, came into this. Or like, wow, there's a lot I don't know. There's this level of both intellectual humility and, you know, curiosity that comes from, you know, learning about something for a really long time. And, you know, the other piece is that when you are so certain about everything, I have all the answers, which is what I think a lot of leaders think they have to be, you know, I have all the answers. I know where we need to go. All right, everyone, listen to me. We're going in this direction. That can actually create a sense of arrogance and a sense of um, certainty. It's not a likable character trait, you know, in, you know, in contrast, when you are intellectually humble and you're curious and, you know, you're like, the answers are within all of us. Like it's about, it's about unearthing those really surprising places where we might learn things. It's about having conversations and constantly being engaged with our communities and the world out there. That kind of intellectual humility and curiosity as a leader you know, we found in the research is it, you know, makes you feel more communal, more friendly, uh, more likable, and rarely less competent, which is the fear that a lot of leaders have is that if I'm not certain about everything, then people will think that I don't know what I'm talking about, or I'm not competent. But the research shows that that's not true. You know, you can be intellectually humble and curious, and still be seen as extremely competent. And I think about my own bosses and supervisors and leaders I admire, they are so curious, you know, they are so intellectually humble. And so that's a big part of it. And, and you look at systems, you know, that we operate in the workplace or in society, it's like, wow, we, you know, or even in education, you know, we 
put so much reward on answers and knowing things and certainty. And rarely do we ever match that reward for questions and explorations. In fact, sometimes we might punish those things. Like, Billy, can you stop asking questions? You're like slowing us down right now, you know, on this project or in this class. We don't got time for this. You need to do this test. We have 45 minutes. I don't make the right. It's this, it's a sort of mentality. And not, you know, I have many teacher friends. So like, this isn't a, <laughs> a, a dig at teachers. They're underpaid. They're an amazing workforce. Like we need to pay them more. We need to value them more, you know, but this is again, the system that they're in, right? I mean, education really needs a, an overhaul in, in many ways to prior, reprioritize curiosity and um, value it in, in, in kids and in children, because the world that we're preparing them for is probably not going to look like what it, it's going to be when, by the time they're 18, you know, exactly. so, but if they have something like curiosity, you know, they're going to always stay engaged with themselves and with the world. And if it's not just intellectual curiosity, it's also heart centered curiosity. Well, then they're also going to have this zest and this optimistic desire to want to know other people and who they are, even if they come from a different background than them or a different perspective than them. And also curiosity isn't just about other people. I talk about the three directions of curiosity in the book. You know, there's inward curiosity. How do you get curious about yourself? That's maybe what we do with our therapist. I have my ther uh, therapist. So I do a lot of exploration of what's my story? You know, what's the story I have in my head? What are my emotions I struggle to emote? Um, you know, like anger. How do I better practice that? Where does that come from? You know, that's all inward curiosity you know, learning about ourselves, which is an amazing place to explore, you know, the inner world. And I've had to learn that as like an Enneagram seven. I'm like, oh my God, that's the last <laughs> place I want to explore, you know, but I'm like, wow, there's actually so much here. That's so interesting. And then there's outer curiosity, which is a lot of what we're talking about. How do you get curious about people, the world? And then there's the beyond, which is how do you get curious about what's not in the physical realm, which to some of us is God and the divine and to others is, you know, consciousness or, you know, our ancestors, you know, descendants who are not yet born yet, you know, what world will uh, seven generations from now inherit you know, from us? And what can we do about that today to make it a little bit or a lot better for them? So that's the beyond. So there's, you know, so much ground to cover with our curiosity. And it's, it's really exciting and, and, and a beautiful, meaningful, you know, way to live a life. <laughs> so as you were going through the inward, outer, and beyond, starting with the inward, mm -hmm. I was thinking, why don't we do that more often? Mm. And my first response was, we might pawn it off as busyness, mm. but it's more about an unwillingness to understand self, mm. almost viewing it as unnecessary, lacking value. Why is that something we actually even have to be quote unquote taught? Or why is that something we have to talk about? You would think understand self is the most basic mm -hmm. thing we want to do, but I don't think we do it often enough. Yeah. And I don't think we're taught that, you know, like yeah. in our culture and our society, our education systems. I was fortunate to have many mentors who reminded me and my, my family, you know, my mom and others who are very introspective and thoughtful people in the world. Um, but not everyone had that. And, and I think also it's not just fear sometimes. It's not just time. It's also trauma. Some people have really scary, hard situations that they went through that psychologically and physiologically impact them in really debilitating ways. So, you know, if you're a veteran that went through really harrowing experiences when, you know, you were abroad or, you know, you were a survivor of domestic violence, you know, there, there's a lot of cases where trauma can hold you back from, you know, getting curious about it or to, to, to exploring it. And actually, if you explore it in a way that re-traumatizes you, that can actually be more harmful. So, you know, to have psychological support and professional care and a clear structure to help you to get curious is really important for some people. And so I don't want to just say, you know, everyone get inwardly curious because that could open up a whole Pandora's box for some people. So that's a, you know, I think there's a lot of limits and boundaries to curiosity that we don't often talk about. I mean, I, you know, I talk about in the book, um, a girl who had a, a prosthetic leg and, you know, she put up a boundary with a boy that was asking all these questions to her about it and wanting to touch it. And, you know, she says, no, this is my body like this. I get to make decisions about, you know, what you get to ask about and what, you know, makes me feel comfortable. Curiosity isn't deserved. It's earned right through trust in a relationship. Even in 
in you know in work we have certain laws around what questions you can and can't ask someone that you're interviewing for instance around you know like their pregnancy or something like that right and like and even even if you're not hiring someone you know there are certain questions that can be really invasive or uncomfortable or maybe you're asking a question that's going to evoke a lot of trauma or a lot of suffering for someone and that's not the kind of curiosity that I'm interested in I am curious I know you speak at a lot of organizations and what do you find they are initially interested in, in regards to your work? Like imagine I'm a large tech firm and I want to bring you in because one of the buzzwords today is curiosity because of what we've talked about. The world is changing and we need people to solve their problems. Mm -hmm. And I would imagine a lot of the things you talk about don't directly line up with their perspective of what curiosity is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when they call you in and say, Hey, Scott, yeah. come talk to us, come help us out. What is it usually that they're looking for? Yeah. Well, it's like five, five dimensional. This isn't even 3d. We're like moving into the 5d. I had someone yeah. tell me this recently and it's, uh, you know, the people that I talk to at these big companies, they need the language to share to decision makers or folks who want to bring me in. So, you know, we know that curiosity can help with creativity, innovation, collaboration, um, you know, helping to, re you know, navigate conflict increase well-being, like all of these things that companies want. And so that's what's communicated. But I, on the 5D level, like what we're really excited about underneath that, you know, is, you know, outside of the capitalistic structure is, you know, how do we give people more meaning and how do we people feel like they matter and they're seen, they're heard and they're valued? How do we help people have their spirits lifted so that inside of the office and when they go home, you know, they can bring that good, great energy, you know, to the people around them. I think that's what most people that bring me in, you know, the people I talk to anyway, my points of contact are really excited about. It's it's this human spirit work, right? And the corporation is just the vessel or the channel to get that done. And uh, unfortunately, you know, like it has to, you know, oftentimes you have to use language that, you know, gets someone in a decision-making, you know, role really excited and it will do those things. I mean, this is all research backed. It will make your workforce more creative and more productive, et cetera. But for me, I have much more interest in, you know, healing and in connection and in helping people to have the tools that they can use in and out of the office and the relationships that they, you know, really care about. And even those that they don't yet have, you know, strangers, neighbors, people that they walk by on the street within curiosity, whether that's someone who's unhoused or someone who is queer or trans or someone who votes differently than them, if, if it can even inspire them to ask a question or to take their curiosity a little bit deeper, to me, that's a big win. No, I, that makes sense. And so just to be clear, so the idea is in the corporate setting, you know, the decision maker, what we're getting them to understand is if you have leaders who are more willing to understand those they lead, yeah. then they will not only be able to lead more tactfully, I mean, for yeah. lack of a better term, yeah. but in addition, those that they lead will feel more supported. And we all know what happens when you feel more supported, you're willing to take risks and move with speed. And, and there is a lot of truth to that. That's just not the only message. Yeah, and that's not exactly. the, okay. That makes exactly. sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's not the, the work that I was put on this earth that I feel like I'm supposed to be doing. You're not yeah, doing yeah. it. So people yeah. make a higher margins, but yeah, exactly. if yeah, that's yeah, a byproduct yeah, yeah. and yeah, it's yeah, our yeah. way if of that, communicating with yeah. more people, yeah. that makes sense. If that gets us on the door, if that creates the programs, mm -hmm. if that's what energizes people, or even, you know, when I talk about leadership, you know, that gets people in the door, gets them excited and motivated. And then they start to use these tools, not just in their workplace, but in their families and in their communities, you know, that's, that's the really exciting part for for me. Yeah. Yeah. On the topic of leadership, I'm sure you have been in conversation with a leader or leaders in general, if we just yeah. want to generalize that the idea of heart-centered curiosity, sure, it sounds good. It makes sense, but their willingness to do it is, yeah. is not there. Right. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying they're a bad person. It's just either not their temperament or They've got their own things they're dealing with, or like, to be honest, I mean, middle management these days is like, it's just mm. hard. Right. Mm. Um, mm. so they don't have the capacity. 
in those instances, what is your goal with them? Is it to shift their thinking? Is it to try to change yeah. their mind? Yeah. So we know from the research that when you are curious, when, when people who are curious are put under fMRIs, that we release dopamine, which is the happy hormone that we also release when we're eating a tasty meal or having sex. Um, who doesn't like those? Well, not everyone. There are asexuals, you know, there are people who, you know, don't have a sense of taste, you know, but, but you know, for the most, most part, I think people do. most I people yeah. like yeah. those things. Yeah. And dopamine does elicit the sense of enjoyment and pleasure. Um, but I also just wanted to validate communities that also don't, you know, strive for those things, which is totally perfectly valid. Um, but, you know, for, to also share that, when I think about going to the gym, going back to that metaphor, yeah, I don't ever want to sometimes go to the gym. I'm like, ugh, like that's not something I want to bring, you know, into my day. Or like, I, there's other things I want to do, you know. There's then spend an hour lifting things, you know, in a room <laughs> or going for a run. Like right now, like sometimes I'm really jazzed about. It. I'm like, all right, yes, I want to do this. But other times it feels like I really have to force myself to get into the gym or to get, you know, outside to to go for that run. But when I do it. I feel so much enjoyment, so much meaning, so much growth, so much pleasure, and I just feel better. I feel healthier. I feel happier. And when I'm leaving the gym or I'm showering after my run, I'm so grateful that I gave myself that time. And the same is true for curiosity. I totally understand. You know, Sometimes you might feel really excited to get curious and you feel really jazzed, and other times not so much. That's not what I want to do right now. Right. But know that if you do it, you know, you put down that phone when your partner walks through that door and you ask them, you know, those questions that you feel like maybe you don't have that energy for, or you ask your, your kiddo, you know, like, Oh, what, it, tell me why you feel like you'd had a bad day at school or like why you did bad on that project instead of saying, no, you did fine. You know, like right. you know, coming from that place of curiosity putting in that energy, you'll find that you will open that door for connection. You'll feel so much closer. You'll feel this enjoyment and this meaning that wouldn't have been there had you been continuing to scroll on your phone, you know, on IG reels, you know? So yeah, yeah. I, I think that is the helpful reminder for folks. Um, if you want a healthier and happier life, which most of us listening to podcasts like this one, that's why we do this. That's why right. we listen to shows like this. Yeah. That there sometimes is a barrier. Um, and just to get out there and do it. And remember the science of habit formation. Don't try to go and lift 200 pounds your first time in. Don't go to the Trump rally or don't go to the Biden <laughs> rally. You know, like, right, right. don't start there. Please yeah. do not start there. <laughs> start in a way where you're thinking about what's the one thing I can do for five to 10 minutes. Maybe it's getting out of your house after a really wild day at work and just being curious on your walk for five to 10 minutes with your senses. You know, what are you seeing? What are you smelling? What are you feeling? The wind on your skin and just giving yourself that 10 minutes to do a curiosity walk. You know, it, it elicits on, it elicits a sense of groundedness and, you know, it, it helps you to realize like, wow, I haven't left my house for a whole day or two days. You know, I really need to bring more of this into my life. I really need to reconnect to nature, you know, and it, it starts to bring you back to yourself. And, and that's, I think the invitation. Going full circle to kind of where we started. Right. And I asked mm -hmm. you, do you think people can learn to be more curious? And obviously you were like, absolutely. Yeah. But the idea that let's say you walk outside and you go, you know what, I'm going to, I don't know, be curious. And so yeah. I'm, I'm going to intentionally do it. It's building the muscle in my mind of experiencing the world, not from a state of knowing, right? Just not from a state of knowing, which is not our natural default. I really, yeah, as adults, yeah. as kids it is, but it's not as adults. We, again, it takes less energy to be certain mm -hmm. than it does to be curious. Mm -hmm. So as energy efficient machines, to an extent, I, I, mm -hmm. I realize I'm generalizing, our natural inclination as an adult is going to be to not have curiosity because why expend that energy when unnecessary? So I like that idea of building that muscle. Well, it's interesting too, because the research, a meta-analysis of multiple studies, over a million research participants found that we actually get more curious over time. So this idea that, you know, curiosity is only for the kid, it, you know, it is debatable. It's a hot debatable topic right now in research, because some folks are saying that it does decline over, you know, especially into your older years. But there is this meta-analysis that says, no, actually you get progressively more curious. And for me, the way I'm interpreting the research is that 
you know, we maybe get more selective about our curiosity, right? So I, we're not verbally asking, why is bluey blue? And why is this? And why are horses? And why do you want, you know, like we, we, we ask different kinds of questions, maybe about spirituality, about our emotions, about our inner worlds, about, you know, the beyond, you know, like all of these kind of, you know, questions we maybe are not asking, you know, when we're younger. Um, and also we're a little more selective too. We might not be interested in why bluey is blue because we're focusing our curiosity in different ways. But I do think that, and we know from the research that curiosity is linked to lifespan. So the higher curiosity scores you have, the lower mortality rates you have, especially in older adults. And so, and that makes sense. Like I said, in the beginning of this conversation, talk to any elder, they'll say the minute you don't get engaged or active in your community, in your life, like wondering new things, getting involved, you know, trying to teach yourself and grow and staying socially curious and connected to other people is when you die, you stop living, you know? So, so in that way, curiosity is not just love, it is life literally. So, you know, it is a force to love. If love is a verb, curiosity is a way to do that. Like we've talked about in this conversation, but it's also to live, you know, to literally extend your life. And so I, I, I do think that, you know, we, we ought to, um, squash squash this idea that it's only for kids and only for artists it's actually within all of us just like creativity i think this is another myth that we all hold around like i'm not curious you know like they're artists but not me well that's not true there's so many different forms of creativity you can think in systems you can think in you know creative problem solving you know it's not just can you draw a pretty picture you know and who told you that you weren't creative or you weren't curious like where did that start because someone could should have told you that could like probably told you that <laughs> like you know or 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 something in culture probably told you that you are not creative or you are not curious anymore. I think it's probably that yeah. right yeah. as we were yeah. t- not that we'll get into it, but the education system alone right is there's a specific way we define creativity, and if it's not that, that's a great point. Totally. Well, you know, Scott, I I love it. Uh, the book's called Seek: How Curiosity Can Transform Your Life and Change the World. I think it's a, a an interesting perspective on curiosity. Is there anywhere else um, that you'd like to guide our listeners? Are there other places you're at where you're putting things out in the world about yeah. this concept? Yeah, thanks for offering that. So, you know, slip into the DMs. You know, like yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. I do listen and read to and look for all the private messages on social media or emails that come through my contact form. I love hearing from readers, and you know, I've I've actually heard from a bunch today that I was reading through. Um, you know, and how you're applying it at your family reunions or in your workplaces. And I want to help you and support you if that's what you need, or if you just want to share how you're doing that. I'm. That's why I became an author. I want to engage with the readers that are reading my book. Absolutely. So I really encourage you to not just read the book and, you know, you know, give it to folks who you think would love curiosity or need more curiosity in their life, but to also tell me about it too. And let's have a conversation because I'm really curious too. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Scott, thank you so much. Yeah, really thanks, appreciate Chris. It. Really appreciate you too. A thank you to this week's guest, Scott Shigioka. This episode was hosted, as always, by Chris Stemp and produced by yours truly, John Rojas. Scott's new book, Seek, How Curiosity Can Transform Your Life and Change the World, is available wherever books are sold. All right, let's jump into the quick housekeeping items. If you'd ever like to reach out to the show, you can email us at smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at smartpeoplepod. And if you want to stay up to date with all things Smart People Podcast, head over to the website smartpeoplepodcast.com and sign up for the newsletter. All right, that's it for us this week. Make sure you stay tuned because we've got a lot of interesting interviews coming up and we'll see you all next episode.